Welcome to another episode of Two Brothers Review, the podcast. I'm Reed Turley. And I'm Ty Turley. And I thought, I thought you know, maybe this was going to be the one where Reed let me introduce it. But it wasn't. You did not ask. It wasn't. I was just, I, do I have to ask Reed for everything? I was hoping. I was hoping. All right. I don't, I think I am the host of this podcast, but we're co-hosts. You're my, you're my co-host, my Robin. Well, we'll know when we're equals when I get to start one. <laughs> Today we're going to be talking about Creed 3, but Ty, before we get to that, do you have a favorite movie that was directed by an actor in the movie? Let's hear yours first. Okay, mine's a Hollywood apocryphal story, but on the set of Tombstone, there was a lot of problems initially, and Kurt Russell gets a lot of credit for sort of stepping in and directing the movie and making sure that it, it came out and came together. Wait, what? He wasn't even the director, probably. Not official. I, uh, it's a little backdoor That's secret. That's a sketchy one. I feel like you just wanted to tell your tombstone story. Oh, I did think of that when I thought of this question. Um, <laughs> okay. Well. There's a ton of uh, Clint Eastwood ones. I guess you could go with one of those. <laughs> no, I'm go- I am going with a, well, yes, I am going to go with a, with a Clint Eastwood one. So really the one, uh, well, I like Unforgiven. It's a, it's a good one. It's a classic. Yeah. It's a great Western. Funny that we both picked Westerns. Yeah. It's cause nowhere is the spirit of self determination stronger. I don't know. Well, Unforgiven's a great movie. I actually, really, I really like Tombstone too. So, but I, I did a Google search. There are a lot of actors that direct move their own movies. So that's a hard Google search, though, because I don't, are they giving you results of actors who also direct or are you getting a list of movies in which an actor in the film directed the film? You know what I mean? Well, I found the AARP 12 best movies directed by the lead actor list, which I did not know. The it, AARP? Yeah. So Clint Eastwood's oh. featured heavily on that one. <laughs> oh, yeah, I bet. Google doesn't know that I, that's where I want to go. It doesn't. Hasn't learned that preference from me. That is, oh, that's funny to, yeah, to have them. They have an article about this, which is crazy to me. Uh, that is so weird. Do you think it, okay, why do you think actors want to direct? Do you think it's a vanity project or they want to stretch a new muscle? Would they, like, do you think Michael B. Jordan will, will ever direct something he's not in? I think it's for sure vanity. I don't know. Well, I think. I don't. I guess maybe I don't know what the difference is. Like, they want to stretch a new muscle because they're vain. No, they want to be. I think anyone wants as much. If you have aspirations to be a director and you're an actor, you use your fame as an actor to turn it into a chance to direct. I think. I think that's fair. You're leveraging. Yeah. Well, I mean, he had a lot of. He's a. This movie would couldn't be made without him, so he has a lot of control over it, and. Ryan Coogler directed the first one, but didn't direct Creed 2, so it's not like he's taking someone's spot who wants to direct it, right? Like, or like someone who has a right to direct it. I, like, if Ryan Coogler had wanted to direct it, I think he would have gotten to over Michael B. Jordan. I think that's a question for Sylvester. He got a producer credit, but I think only because it's his story. Like, he was not involved in this movie. And I think there's a loss. There's a lawsuit about the rights to Rocky. What? Well, I don't know. I would have thought you can't make it without his blessing. 
maybe he's not that involved, but I mean, they didn't make it with him. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why. I know it's weird. Uh, okay. Well, that's a bit of the meta about the movie, but what did you think of Creed, the kind of structure and the conflict between the two protagonists and antagonists? Oh, well, it's a, they got to come up with something, right? Like these movies have to find an antagonist somehow. So this one felt like, uh, the whole time I was just like, wait, why is he, why is, why is this a mortal battle all of a sudden? I just, the, the, the key point in the film where he realizes, I guess that his friend had lied to him because he has a prison photo with the guy that hit the uh, hand of Drago. Yeah. Yeah. Like he has that. And so, um, he realizes that he, so what does he say? He says some cheesy line, like the only thing he'll listen to is boxing or the only way to make him listen is in the ring or something. I mean, just like such a stretch for me. He could have just totally ignored this guy. Or he goes on to the first take where Jonathan major calls in and like challenges him to the fight. Right. If, if yeah. he had just brought that photo and been like, Stephen A, the guy that hit Drago's hand is a friend with Jonathan Major's character. Like, I mean, that would have ruined Diamond Dame's future. Like, he wouldn't have been able to keep boxing. I thought it was just like a weird way to handle that. And like, this guy coming out of prison, getting a shot at the title is seems insane also. Totally insane. But you have to give, I, you have to set some of that aside. It's a Rocky movie. You have to have these fights, but. Well, I don't know. I don't, you don't have to set that. I mean, that's what separates a good Rocky movie from a great one. Like things should actually make sense. They should. Or it, it helps. It helps if they make sense. I think, um, he, uh, like, yeah. What on that first take show? What? I don't understand why he switches into machismo mode where that's right. He's got to defend like it, everything escalates. Why? Oh, you're going to talk about my family. So this, that's, that's not, yeah. He, he like change totally switches. This, persona it seems like such a tr- it seems like such a trope of like okay all of a sudden he's a tough guy because that's my other main critique of the film is he's so reasonable most of the time and and this is going to sound like a contradiction but like it it's not an interesting character he's boring he's like very nice to his family very nice at his gym always calm always reasonable always calming things down and, um, and then, and then, yeah, like <laughs> he fights, he goes and sees him after the fight. He's like, I'm sorry. I don't know. It just, it seemed crazy reasonable. So I wish he would have been less, or I wish his character was more interesting, I guess is the way to say it. And I think then that would have made that weird machismo switch when he's like, the only way to make him see is to fight him. I would have understood that better because that seemed like totally insane and out of character. And like, is he an interesting character to you? Uh, he's not the most interesting. I, I guess I feel like he, they tried to bring drama in his life from him not being willing to talk about his history and the trauma he experienced with his wife and like keeping a lot of things kind of bottled up until it does explode out. Like, I, I wouldn't say he was so nice to his family. What? He's like the best dad ever. Well, I, don't, I mean, I, I guess they're setting up for this daughter to be the next, you know, lead boxer in a Rocky movie franchise. But 
They ne- they yeah. never circle back to that story about her learning to fight or controlling her violence. Like in school, we never go back to see her in school and like interacting with a bully. It just felt really out of place to have that one scene about the kid in the school and then one scene of her training in the gym, but not really, I don't know. Oh, she beats her dad. She beats her dad in the ring at the end. It just felt very underserved to me, that story. Yeah. And I would say about like things that don't make total sense in the movie. In the end, Jonathan Major's character loses the fight. And I wish there had been like a six month jump before they see each other and reconcile. Cause I think in that moment he would have been furious. I mean, his, his whole character was vindictive and mean and like, you know, fighting dirty in that first fight. I can't, I, I was shocked that he was just like, Okay, I forgive you immediately. Yeah. No, everyone's so nice in the end. And he didn't really do any of the dirty fighting against Creed. Like, the whole point of that first, you know, title fight that Dame has is that he's, like, hitting the guy's shoulder and, like, you know, Creed didn't have to overcome that at all. It was just a straightforward, well, I don't know what was going on with the, (laughs) did you like the stylistic choice (laughs) to to remove the audience? Put a prison bar against one wall of the boxing ring and make it this weird like one on one mind battle. No, it was it was too I thought it was way too hokey and on the nose. It's like a gimmick. I didn't think it was like the Don't rely on it. Well, don't rely on a gimmick to to make your dramatic fight dramatic. Make the freaking fight dramatic. I like I I understood it as a way to time jump, like to go from round three to round eleven. I'm sure they've made those kind of jumps in other movies without doing this kind of stylistic thing. Yeah, you show the girls. Yeah, but you can't. I, but I even mean like, without having to show the girls, you can like say, "Oh, this was round four, and now we're in round 10. Like, I don't know. You can't mm-hmm. watch twelve rounds of boxing in a movie. That would take thirty six minutes. Technically, yes, you're yeah. right. Thank <laughs> you. <laughs> yeah, I thought I thought it was bad. And I, yeah, I mean. He just seemed like a, uh, I mean, maybe because he felt guilty about what happened to Dame. It's just like he had all these people telling him in his life, don't trust this guy. This guy's like, I don't know how he couldn't recognize that he wasn't trustworthy or like, do you think his guilt just sh- shadowed that from him? Like, so he couldn't see that? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think we're supposed to believe that his guilt locked him into a box of having to do it. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I also don't. I don't know. Did it seem reasonable to you that he could have run away from that fight, got nothing? I mean, he was a couple of years younger, maybe than his friend. But it seems like the would the police just not have found out who was punching at all? Well, and the then guy, he, and then he gets eighteen years for that. I mean, that seems. But yeah, I got eighteen years because he had. He said he had a few priors, and then he had a gun. And I think probably in the late nineties, early two thousands, like laws were pretty strict and. Multiple offenders and a gun, you know, a gun charge. Plus, he said he got some years added on in prison. Like, I think he was fighting in jail inside and like, I mean. Okay. I don't know. I don't remember the priors or whatever. Yeah. I mean, I think he, yeah, that kid could have run away. I don't know. Maybe the, you'd think the guy he was beating up would have, would have known him or the, his two sons that got him off of him would have known, but maybe they didn't because he didn't remember him. Yeah. I, they would have remembered him at least enough to know to be to be like actually this kid you got is not the one that beat me up. 
Right, but I don't think they cared about the beating up. I think it was the gun that was the problem. Okay. All right. I don't know. Weren't you kind of happy that it was just the kid was getting beat and not something worse in the foster care system? I was like, I don't want to know about anything else going on. Oh, gosh. I didn't even think of that. I was really worried that's where we were going. Okay. Well, it's good we did it. Good we didn't. Well, maybe who knows? We don't really know what happened because you can't talk about it. Yeah. There's the one scene where I thought the writing was so bad, where I groaned, where um, she's like, his wife, it's him and his wife talking about how he needs to open up to her. And and she's like, you you got to deal with it. You got to work on it. Like, And then she starts talking about her and how she... Um, wishes she could sing. How she wishes she could sing and has to give it up. And she's like, and I go back... Um, and I, what does she say? I can't remember exactly, but something like, and I have to deal with that every day. She like contradicts her exact advice two lines earlier. It's a total, it's just so bad. I, I'd have to look up the, that scene again, but what the exact words are, but I was like, oh my gosh, this is, they're just saying things. They don't mean anything. They're not listening to each other. They're just saying tropes. The movie did not give Tessa Thompson much to do. I mean, she just played the supportive wife, really. Yeah, she was infinitely patient. Again, everyone's so nice. <laughs> I, I did like the training montage. You know, you can count on a a good montage in a Rocky movie. Because the Cadillacs are getting nicer? Or what did you like about it? I just thought it was, you know, you like you like seeing them kind of work up things and he's pulling the plane with his in the harness and it's just so ridiculous, right? Like <laughs> they do these insane no, these insane goes. exercises. Jonathan Major climbing the two ropes with his like with his <laughs> just weird stuff. Okay, that was the cool that was the coolest thing though. Well, the, I didn't they I mean I as I was watching the movie I was like, "Oh, they're like they're not showing what Jonathan Majors looks like in any of the training sessions, in any of the sparring sessions until that first fight and he was cut. It was crazy." Yeah. I read a thing where they said where Michael B. Jordan said that, that was totally intentional. Yeah, I, I, you could tell it was kind of like building to it. Because, you know, all this guy's coming out of prison. Maybe he's a little frumpy. Who knows? No, but like, of course, I don't know. For me, that had zero dramatic effect. Oh. He also said in the article I read that uh, in the final fight scene, he had originally had subtitles of what they were thinking, and they were basically talking to each other with thoughts. Yikes. And then, he, and then he's like, but my audience, I know my audience, and they, they can't handle subtitles. Which was, I thought, was a very weird thing to say because the movie has a ton of subtitles from the deaf girl. Sure. Just like, yeah, it made no sense. I don't know how true this is, but did that article talk about how influenced by anime Michael B. Jordan is? Yes. So I've heard that about this movie, and I don't know. I totally get it. I also don't watch anime, so maybe I'm missing yeah, some, I don't watch some huge connection. I think that they, that they go to avoid... Like the fight takes place uh, in a void. Okay. But I don't really know. I, I've never watched anime either. All right, Ty, do you have other things you liked or didn't like about Creed? Mm, not really. Perfect. <laughs> I think that's what those, I get, I, you, got, you got my hot takes. What is your grade for Creed 3? Well, I'm going to give it a two. Okay. Uh, I'm going to give it a three. Well, you didn't say anything good about it. I liked the training montage. Oh, that's true. <laughs> A training montage was worth one full. <laughs> well, was some other movie that you give it three to. I mean, it wasn't bad. I don't know. I don't know. You think it was okay? All right. Obviously, think I it was respect bad. it. <laughs> I respect it. What do, What do you have to recommend to our listeners that you've been watching, reading, or listening to lately? 
I went to the play Endgame this week. It's quite a d- dark play by Samuel Beckett, who wrote Waiting for Godot. Uh, it's got similar vibes. Absurdist. Life doesn't have a point. I don't know. Sometimes I think it's good to watch that stuff. I know you can't go watch it, but you should read it. Yeah. Thanks for that very unique recommendation. Specific to New York City. Very unique. Anyone can read Endgame. Anyone can read it. It's limited options to go yeah. see it. You get you get the the uh, existential crisis still. Yeah. Uh, for me, I I read the book uh, The Big Sleep, which is a Philip Marlowe um, mystery. The first one set in L.A. in like the 30s, uh, and then I went and watched the movie Marlowe with Liam Neeson. And I can I will recommend the book, and I cannot recommend the movie. The movie was bad, but Marlo's supposed to be like forty years old, and Liam Neeson's like seventy five, and you could just tell as he was moving around, he was he didn't have it. He's not. I don't. It's, it's wild to me that they chose him to play this, and then like the love interest is probably like forty five. I guess the theory is superstars never age. I don't know. Yeah. So men, superstar men. I liked the book. I would not recommend the movie. Okay. All right. Thanks. That's why we're not doing a. That's why we're not doing a podcast about it. I guess. Oh, you saw it? No, I never heard of it. <laughs> which says something. There you go. Well, thanks for joining us for another episode of Two Brothers Review the podcast. Uh, two brothers, brothers the podcast. Go ahead. I, no, you. It's you. Yeah. It's you. <laughs> bye. Oh, bye.